0: Welcome to the summit become we truly are. Today our speaker is Erica Lorenz. Erica Lorenz has 40 years of clinical practice and she is the president of the Jung Association of Western Massachusetts. Um, today our discussion will be about the feminine erotic soul, which is also the topic of a course that we've got coming up with her at Jung Platform this summer. So welcome Erica Lorenz. All right. Welcome, Erica Lorenz, to this summit. Become who you truly are. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, I'd like uh, to start with the question, what is individuation and why is it important?
1: Okay. Individuation is um, about becoming who we truly are. When we're born, we come in with like an acorn, with the imprint of who we truly are. And as we come into the world and we deal with the environment, blah blah blah, blah blah, we create obstacles that created to get in the way of who we truly are. And it, so individuation in Jung's view is not about individualism. We don't go off and do whatever we want. But we become we tune in and we work through those obstacles. We work through those issues so that our true nature or who we really are our gifts as well as you know our shadow material that we need to look at can come through and we become we can become conscious of it and we can allow ourselves to shine brightly more and more and more and right now i think especially in modern culture everything we we're so bombarded with what um what we can buy, what we can do, do this, do that, do this, do that, and it's very easy to lose that inner sense of who we are. And so I think it's it's crucial right now in modern culture to work with our individuation process. When Jung did his journey into the unconscious for four years, and he um, published it in the we published it in the Red Book. Um, that was his journey. He was looking for his true self. And the first thing he talks about is, I have lost my soul. Where is my soul? Come back to me. So we're looking for our soul. And I think the feminine erotic soul soul has to do with that. So, yeah. yeah. So, so I guess
0: a lot of people who come into therapy uh, have, have that question underlying it. Who am I? Yeah.
1: That- yeah, absolutely. I'm 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 uh, upset, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm, I have trauma. I got, I lost myself. Who am I? And that's that's the key question because I don't know who they are. When somebody comes in, I don't have the answers. I have the process. I know how these things how to help somebody, facilitate somebody in tuning into their unconscious and trusting, learning to trust their inner voice with dreams, with projections that they're doing on their partners or their cats or their bosses or whoever. (laughs) And to take that back and to look at it is so empowering because we don't get caught in it anymore. We don't get trapped. And we can, uh, I had a client years ago who said, if I could just get one inch away from this issue, I'd be free, you know, but we get caught up, we, we get caught up in what we're projecting outward. And of course, wars are about projection. They have something we want, or we don't want what they have, or they're evil, or, you know, so I think it's very crucial right now when we're at a place of crisis in our world, where we're destroying ourselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and we'll be coming back to that uh, later on uh, as well. So, so you already mentioned the feminine erotic soul. Uh, Mm -hmm. What is it?
1: (laughs) Well, um, it's it's more than sex. Okay, in in modern culture, when we think of the erotic, we immediately have these images of you know um, stuff that propaganda that we've been taught. We have images that are that are where that's bad or that's too much or that's not appropriate or that's um uh, we're afraid of getting caught in it or something rather than having a healthy relationship to the erotic period and I think that that's one way when the patriarch when the patriarchy began to take over the matriarchal religions and not not that we want to go back we don't that's you know. What we want is a sacred marriage, but we've gotten into an unhealthy position with the drivenness and the disembodiment and the disconnect from our soul. And so I think the erotic is a piece of that that was used to demonize the feminine in all of us. It's not just women. We all have masculine and feminine. You know, and I think the Me Too movement is brilliant. I think it's time—an idea whose time has come. And I was so excited when I, when uh, the Me Too movement—I I had a friend in Sri Lanka, and I called her, and I said, "So, what's happening over there?" And she said, "I said, are there some good things from what's happening over here?" And she said, "Yes, the Me Too movement has gone all over the world, and I've read." Um, not, and, and men are involved too, because to, to re-own the erotic soul and the feminine part of the erotic soul it, in our culture, we can talk about the masculine. Oh, she, she has balls or he has balls or the phallus, you know, the, the phallus is much, is much more acceptable to talk about, but when you get into the feminine and the, um, the vulva, the clitoris, the womb, the womb's acceptable because it's about mother. But when we get into these kinds of areas, it's, it's taboo to talk about. It's been taboo to talk about them. Um, I was in Greece a couple of years ago, and there were um, uh, stray cats all over the place, you know, stray cats and dogs. And I said, oh, I guess they don't have a a program to neuter them to to get this under control and they said oh no they wouldn't they might neuter the females but they wouldn't neuter the males it's like okay (laughs) i guess we're living with that so yeah yeah so so
0: yeah i think so 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 i think Uh, I'm not yet very clear on how the masculine erotic soul differs from the feminine
1: erotic soul. Yeah, right. So the feminine erotic soul, and I see this a lot in my, my male clients too, the feminine erotic soul has to do with the sensual, very sensual, very sensitive, that ability to tune in, to one's own body it's very embodied and of course when um now if 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 you have a connection with the feminine erotic soul then your sex life will be really enhanced of course but it's bigger than that it's about our spiritual relationship to the earth to the embodiment it's about um the sensitivity it the rhythms in Feminine. And I'll be talking about this in my class. The rhythms in a feminine experience of the erotic is is um, is softer and uh, longer. There's a long rhythm in it, whereas masculine is a thrusting rhythm. So if you look at it in terms of um, these kinds of movement pieces. Uh, So there is a different experience in the feminine erotic soul. And this can be very mystical. And I'm going to be talking about the history of the sacred prostitutes who enabled men and women um, to take the energy of the goddess and experience it in an ecstatic state and to connect with the goddess energy through the body. And in modern religions, we're we're trying to get out of the body. Now, I don't think that's what they were originally, but I think as they've become more and more dogmatized and uh, patriarchal, they've, they, the body is sin. You know, especially in Christian and most of them, so so does that? Help?
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it it does. So how do how can we tune into uh, that that part of our psyche?
1: Uh, well, I'm going to be helping people to to do things like, um, like, like when I wake up in the morning, I don't immediately jump out of bed if I don't have to. I lie there and I feel the blankets. I feel the soft sheets. I move. In the bed just I move softly and gently so I can really feel my skin so I can really feel my energy in my body that's relaxing and if I wake up in the middle of the night that's what I do I don't sit up and meditate which I could do but I I allow myself to sink into the subtle subtle places in my body and, it, and then my body begins to relax and release and I can go into a gentle sleep again. So, uh, so that's one thing that we do.
0: Yeah, and what I like about it, I think, is that you don't necessarily need your partner in this. Uh, uh, you can do it on your own and of course your partner is most likely to benefit from it.
1: Absolutely. And I have men coming in now, um, well, throughout my career. And uh, I have a a client right now who's in his 40s, and he's going through a divorce, and he didn't have a good sexual relationship for 20 some years with his wife. And I have permission to use this material. And, uh, and so he's beginning to date. And he comes in and he goes, you know, these women are so aggressive. (laughs) You know, they just want me to They just want to get it on. He said, that doesn't turn me on. What turns me on is touch and talking and um, connecting and music. And then sex is beautiful. But this really is a turn off, which is very interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: To get that from a man. Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, And I just interrupted you when I asked for uh, uh, how can you tune into that part of uh, our souls Uh, and and you said so experience the body. Mm -hmm. Um, are, Are there other ways that we can also connect with or build a relationship, develop a relationship?
1: Yeah, I believe also when I go out into nature, you know, I don't I try, to, I try to do what um, we call lunar consciousness. I don't go out and look, oh, that's a, that's a daisy. Or that's a, I mean, they were doing this in the 70s with, you know, be, present, be in the present moment. But what I, what I do is I try to relax my focus. We're so hard focused, left brain, hard focused in our culture. And I, I'll see more if I relax my vision. And I I get sort of a soft peripheral vision. And I tune into things on an energetic level more. And that's one of the things we're looking for, is this energetic attunement. And so I'll feel things, say in a client, that in my body, that they feel. And they might not even be aware of it. Somebody will come in and I'll say, and suddenly I'll get a stomach ache and I'll go, Wait a minute, I didn't have a stomach ache before this moment. And so I'll say, So what's happening in your body? And they'll say, Hmm. And they'll say, Oh, my stomach is kind of tight. So it's that kind of attunement, which I think is the feminine in general. But with the, with the erotic piece, I think there's a sensuality to it. There's a kind of a blissful embodied quality to it. That's what we're looking for. Um, Listening to uh, some piece of music that you you feel is erotic. Just listening to it and seeing what you feel like. Seeing how you want to move. Seeing how it moves you. How it, it turns you on in a subtle way.
0: Yeah, and turning on in in respect that the senses are turned on. Right. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. We're very very visual. We're the most probably one of the most visual species on the planet, and so sometimes I encourage people in in my sessions to just close their eyes, so they can go to another level of connection. And when I when uh, I do what's called active imagination through movement. And so we close our eyes so we get into other, other senses and we listen to the impulse in the body and allow the body to tell us what we want to do. And we open our eyes for safety if we're going to run around the room or do something like that. But, so it's a real tuning in to a deep sense, sensual uh, senses place. And
0: yeah, yeah. And, and how does this this quality or this this uh, relationship with the feminine erotic soul help us in becoming who we truly are?
1: Well I think when we get to sensing on that level in ourselves we are in touch with our soul and we are in touch with the part of ourselves that has been lost probably and and uh, tunes us into more uh, more subtle places in ourselves and we Jungians talk about subtle body it's what we what happens when we go into a deep meditation and we we get into a subtle body experience could be a visionary experience it could for me it's more kinesthetic and more kinesthetic I'll have energy experiences Um, so so that level of attention takes us into a subtle body place where we can access the imaginal more easily which is healing okay so so we get below consciousness but we get below consciousness in an embodied way
0: yeah and and can you say a little bit more about the imaginal realm
1: yeah the imaginal realm jung jung really worked with the imaginal realm when he did his descent he was in the imaginal realm the Sufis talk about the mundus imaginalis. It's that it's that liminal space between consciousness and um, the mystical dimension or the other dimension. And when we get in touch with soul, um, we get we begin to get we begin to be more open to that level. And so we feel things more deeply. We we resonate with nature um uh like you go sit on the i I love to go sit by the ocean and i just meditate on it i just feel it i just sit there and and i don't just look at it i sense it i sense the rhythms i sense the movement i sense the depth i sense the power and it it soothes me and it it takes me into a very centered place. Yeah. I've I've had I was very ill. I came back from Mexico in nineteen seventy-five and I had what they weren't sure what it was, amoebas, whatever. And my father, who's a doctor, thought it was a good idea and he gave me flagell, which kills everything in your body. <laughs> Made me sicker than when I came back from Mexico. And so I started doing acupuncture. That's when I really got into acupuncture and, and alternative medicine and stuff like that. And one night I was lying in my bed and my, I really could feel this very deep pain um, in my gut. And so I, I just allowed myself to go into that place more. I must've spent four hours doing this, just deeper and deeper and deeper, sensing into it and sensing into it. And there were moments when I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> um, you know, this is kind of weird, but I got to, I felt like at one point I got to the center of the, of the pain, of the dis-ease. Um, this, this and I got to the center of it and it shifted. And I knew I had turned a corner in healing whatever was going on in my body. And I went into an incredibly deep healing sleep. So to me, that's about tuning into this embodied, um, soulful and erotic. To me, that's erotic. That's the deep sensing. And, and if you're in touch with this, when you have sex, you know, you feel it so deeply. It's so subtle and powerful. Um, I was with my ex many years ago and we were making love and I, um, I started to have this energy go up my spine. And he was sensitive enough to go, to sense that something was going on. And he sort of pulled back and just was with me. And I moved in, a, in a, what was seemed like a very sensuous way to facilitate my body doing what it needed to do. And that went on for a while. And suddenly I had an orgasm in my third eye and I was just lying there in total bliss just centered and lovely and and um, I think these are the experience some of the experiences I've had that have brought me to the subject because there is that this subtle subtle level of it that is erotic and mystical because the feminine erotic soul was called was really the sacred feminine erotic soul and of course we know tantric yoga and that's not about just having sex that's about working with the tantric energy to to reach higher states of of consciousness
0: yeah and in that perspective probably sexuality is also a spiritual path more than pleasure or
1: procreation yes and that's what the matriarchal religions were steeped in the the goddesses were were the most powerful it's interesting because then there were goddesses and the male gods were consorts of the goddesses sort of like reversed of what we have now and the and so rituals included the erotic It was normal, it wasn't um, demonized, it was a normal, healthy impulse. Now, of course, I'm sure there was misogyny and all kinds of crazy stuff, but um, I also think that um, it was honored as a sacred rite. And in the temples, the priestesses were supreme, and the rituals were embodied, and they had to do, and also the, the union of the goddess and the king, for example, would be enacted through a sexual act, As particularly in the spring, to, to bring fertility to the world again in the spring. So, of course, the matriarchal religions were lunar in their time. And uh, um, there's a, uh, I was in Ireland last year, <laughs> And the, one of the main goddesses is Queen Mae, who has many, many different aspects of herself. The earlier goddesses are multidimensional, just kind of like Yahweh would be in Christianity, multidimensional. So, and so the warriors would go out, and they'd do their battles or do their hunts or whatever they did, and um, the, the particular hero that she was working with would come back and one of the ways she would get him out of this aggression, because he was consumed, would be consumed with this warrior spirit which he needed, would be to show her breasts or to show him her vulva. And it would calm him down. He would come back to more of an embodied, you know, inside his another dimension of, of experience for him. Yeah.
0: So, so there, the feminine is is used uh, to really connect with oneself, rather than, or maybe also connecting with another, uh, mm-hmm. but at first instance to reconnect with oneself.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, the the goddesses were all virginal, and that doesn't mean they didn't have sex. They had plenty of sex. You know. Um, Aphrodite was having sex all the time. (laughs) Um, But what it meant was that they were one unto themselves. They were not owned or possessed by somebody else, no matter who they were, goddess or god. And they they would procreate, they would have um, erotic connections, which would have been mystical also. And, but they would never, they wouldn't lose themselves. They wouldn't get lost in the relationship. And there's an awful lot of that. And I think when we, one of our problems in our culture is when we're children, we're taught that the erotic is bad. You know, don't, don't touch yourself. Don't touch anybody else. Don't, you know, don't show your breasts, you know, whatever. Or don't show your penis. Um, Just hide all that. And so we get really caught, then when we become teenagers, we think that we can get loved through that. We, we aren't connected with it enough. So we can't differentiate our own erotic desire and, and connection with our own self and a relationship with another person. We get confused. Um, um, so somebody might become a sex addict. And just keep having sex and sex and sex and sex to fulfill an emptiness and a loneliness inside that they don't know how else to fill but in in truth they are not in touch with their true nature and their true erotic self they're disconnected or they wouldn't need all that Mm.
0: so would you say the mistake uh, they make is that they feel like they need someone else uh, to really connect with something inside and you don't necessarily need someone else to connect with it.
1: Right, right. And since, the, since having an orgasm is a wonderful experience and you feel that oneness, it, gets, it becomes an addiction. It can become a kind of an addiction or even not an addiction to the ultimate degree. But it, we keep thinking, well, that person has to give it to me. This doesn't have to do with me. This is love. This is relationship where it's not it's a wonderful sexual experience, and then we try to please the other person, whether we 're a man or a woman. it doesn't matter. we try to please the other person to keep that connection because they don't because if we don't feel one with ourselves, then we're looking for it we're hungry for it, of course yeah
0: yeah so 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 what would you say to someone who um who, um, for example, is in a relationship and falls in love outside the relationship, what what is the spiritual path to mm-hmm. take? Or or I don't know, what's your
1: take on that? Well, that's probably a complicated situation. <laughs> but, um, um to not to the more we find ourselves and of course not just the erotic, but everything uh the more we tune into our own individuation process the less that we will think it's out there so i might fall in love with somebody outside my relationship i mean that happens all the time we don't just love one person in our lives we aren't just uh um chemistry can happen with anybody you know we can have a chemistry with somebody and nothing else is there and you know we hang out with them for a year and then we go what am i doing here it's nothing. So, but I think when you know yourself truly, and you're centered inside your own truth, then you, you don't just fly off. You can sit with the, the attraction. You can sit with that energy and go, Oh, this feels really good. Hmm. That's nice, but I don't have to act it out. How can I have this with my partner? How can I, how, what do I need to do to connect with this deeply enough and, go, and know that this person out there is, I'm having a chemistry, you know, I'm having a, a wonderful connection with them. And I might even be flirting with them. But what am I missing in my real relationship? And what am I not getting inside me? And, and how can I work on that if I love the person I'm with how can I continue to find that with my partner and what does it mean and wh- what am I projecting on this man or woman out there that, um, that I need to find in myself? You know, they might be really extroverted and I'm introverted. So I'm really attracted to that energy, that lively dancing, singing, you know, um, ability to play and be in the world. I, I, I envy that. So envy is a wonderful um, place. Jung would say, we don't envy unless we have that inside of ourselves to find. You know? So it, it's a calling for a quest to find. I feel all this erotic energy with this person. Hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of unpack that and look at what's making me turned on with this person. What about this person turns me on? And then finding that in myself and then going and working on your relationship with your partner, whatever that is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So so is it almost like um, a being in love, whether you're in a relationship or out of a relationship, being in love is an awakening of... Uh, the erotic soul, and it yeah. depends on what you do with it, and it might help you uh, to, to connect stronger with yourself.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Being in love is wonderful. Don't we all love it? <laughs> uh, yes and no. Well, right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but uh, but at a certain point, the being in love fades. And then we get down to work. Yeah. And, and then we discover new levels of love, of course. What, what is real love? And what is, how does my body, how does my erotic soul connect with that?
0: Yeah, so in the world uh, that we're living in today uh, with uh, the COVID uh, crisis, mm. Um How is all of this relevant? Yeah. yeah. Is it relevant?
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I I think finding yourself is totally relevant because the more that we find, and I think the erotic is a piece of that. It's a piece that I'm going to be focusing on. Um, um, The more we find it in ourselves and are one unto ourselves, the more we can handle any crisis in our life. It doesn't just throw us off. We know how to sit with ourselves. We know how to pleasure ourselves. We know how to soothe ourselves. We know how to bring ourselves back to our own center. And um, and when we can do that more and more, and that's an embodied experience. You can't tra- you can't change. You can't transform unless you're in the body. Jung talks about that a lot. I did my whole thesis on that. You can't have a spiritual experience. It, it, he says it's like the wind in the desert there's nobody there. so we, we have all these high flooding insights and ideas and blah 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 and then we're off running. But the more that we can become embodied um, in our lives and in our body and in our all aspects of our body and in, in the sensual aspect, the erotic which I'm calling the erotic aspect, soul, the more we can understand where we fit in this crisis. You know, like, um, what what is it bringing up in me? A lot of fear, probably. A lot of anxiety. A lot of survival anxiety. So, but when, the more that we, we know ourselves, and on all levels, the more we can um, sink into that fear and not let it take us over. And I, yeah, we can meditate and we can get out of it and that's one way to work with it. But we can also allow it to allow ourselves to feel it and work with it in some way. We can allow ourselves to feel that emptiness that we want to fulfill, say, with sex or with alcohol or whatever we can we have a container for it we have a place to work with it so and i think also the more we are with ourselves and and this this sensitive connection this empathetic sensitive connection with the uh, feminine erotic soul um the more we can um see other people the more we can empathize with them and the less projection we will get, like in in the US, I don't know if this is happening in Europe, um, in the US now there's some racism against Chinese because it's a Chinese flu, as our wonderful leader said, and that's pure projection. So the more that we are in touch with these deep levels of ourselves in an embodied way, the less we'll do that, that's ridiculous. You know, we won't get caught up in those traps. So, and and I think, I think when you're stuck in a, an apartment, I mean, if you're on the 28th floor in New York City, you can't go outside for a walk. <laughs> so, how do you find beauty and um, connection and soothing and stay in your body in your apartment? You know.
0: Yeah, and I guess uh, a part of the of the experience is also mourning the loss. Oh, absolutely. A grieving. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that also part of the feminine erotic soul, as you see it?
1: Yes, I, I mean, yes. The the matriarchal religions they were practiced through through the body, through dance and singing and and mourning and. Um, we've lost that in, in modern culture. You go to a funeral and you look at the person and you say nice things. You don't wail, you don't rend your clothes, you don't pull out your hair. Not that we want to do that, but those were the rituals that were so important. When my parents died, I actually had a partner who died two years ago, and I went to see his body in, the hus- in a hospital room. I'd been away when he died. And I I said to the I went with two women friends and I said to the attendant, you're gonna hear screaming and wailing and talking, it's okay. And he said, That's fine, that's fine. And I went in and there was his beautiful body. And I did that. I talked to him, I sobbed, I wailed, I told him, you know, he needed to go to the light and I needed to come back to life. And I did this whole ritual. And one of my women friends brought these little candles, battery candles, you know and so and I didn't know she did that, but she gave them to me, and I put them around him on his body and around his body and it was so important for me to be able to get into that deep gut um, first and second and third chakra energy you know and then um, then the three of us spoke about him, you know, talked about how we loved him and different things like that. And I slowly then backed up to the door and I stood on the door and I cried again. And once again, I said, you have to go to the light and I have to go back to life. And that was such an important ritual for me. So important because and, and I, the next two years I did a lot of um, different kinds of grief work in groups and by myself. And that's so important, we don't do that. We aren't embodied. It's all sterile, we're terrified of death. And the great goddess was the birth goddess and the death goddess. And the, the tombs were where they would take, not the remains of the person, but they take bones or they'd take um, clay figures and they put it in the tomb for every people who died, where it would be in back in the womb. You know, you'd go down into a tunnel or you'd go into this enclosure and there would be the bones or the, the relics, of, the precious relics of the person. Um, and that was going back to the mother, going back into the womb to be reborn. Yeah. So, and, and it's about death and rebirth. Every time we change or transform, something dies and something new is born. And that's the death and birth process.
0: Yeah. And ritual is really important in in, in that, to facilitate that process.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've, in my process of grief, I went to a couple of groups and they were just talking. There was no ritual. and. That didn't help me. The ones I I really got benefit from was when I was really allowed to express and go into the body and bring things of my loved one that were precious and sing to them with people or or create poetry or draw and really feel it down in, in my womb where I missed him, you know, in my vagina. I missed him. So it was a very visceral experience. And if we don't have that part, we, we're not connecting to a root inside of ourselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so what practical advice can you give to people suffering uh, today? Either because they lose someone that they care about, or grieve the loss of Unknown people, but still it's a loss and grief, griefing of the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, What I encourage people to do is feel. The feelings have to do with the feminine, you know, the feminine masculine, but the feminine women have been sort of the carriers of emotion, sort of, you know, in our culture. They're supposedly, that's why they were considered hysterical back in in Victorian times, because they were carrying all the feelings um, when we thought we were so rational, which of course is ridiculous. But um, so to, to, uh, to try to allow yourself to feel and cry and, um, and put on music that brings up the memory of the one you loved and try to come down into your belly and allow that belly brain, that belly experience, to happen. And um, I would, I would sit listening to music that reminded me of George, and I'd hold a pillow and I'd just rock and sob. So it's like I could have something with me that was soothing. My pillow, and I could allow myself to go there more easily, you know, and. Um, I'd put on music and I'd um, I I'd just lie on the floor, and and allow my body as I was listening, allow my body to move in a way that felt right. And many times I'd end up curled on my side, sort of in an embryo, you know, position, just crying, just allowing it to come. And I think that's what we've lost, and that's part that's a major part of the feminine in general, but I think it also is rooted in that um, first and second and third chakra, you know, in those lower chakras, which we have become very ungrounded from.
0: Yeah. yeah. So thanks so much for, uh, for uh, sharing uh, your personal story, but also your perspective on how to deal with a crisis and how the feminine... Uh, erotic soul relates to it Um, is there anything that you want to to say before we close the interview
1: well I I think again the reason why I'm interested in the feminine erotic is because if we think of it when uh, and I'll get into the history of this in my class it's fascinating how the patriarchal um, hunting Warrior tribes overtook the feminine agricultural kin kinship cultures. Um, that one of the, the when land became important and inheritance became important, then you had to own the woman. You had to own her sex. You know they had chastity belts for for, for crying out loud, it was crazy. Um, so the woman had to become property. The the sex had to become property. The so that the 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 there was men then the men knew that the child, the male child, was theirs. So that they could pass on their property, and it became more and more and more like that. Um, so. It's through the sexual and the erotic I think that we have really been uh, possessed and abused and harassed, and that's the place that's the place that's deepest I think in our culture that has gotten really distorted so yeah. yeah, and it's clear
0: from your story that that is not only—it's not so much a feminine or related to females, but just the culture uh, as a whole that is yeah. suffering.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the LGBTQ community is wonderful because it shows us that it's not just about the body—the you know whether I have a penis or a vagina. It's about who am I. So, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, thanks so much uh, for uh, this uh, interview. And uh, you already referred to the course that we will have uh, with you on your platform uh, in a few months' time. So uh, uh, thanks again.
1: You're welcome. It's nice to be here.